We're back. Hi. <laughs> you ready to tell us more, Tammy? I am. All right. This is part two of Tammy's story about her time in straight. Um, we ended the last part talking about how you escaped from straight the last time. Yes. Um, but I, I wanted to back up a little bit. There was a couple things about being in straight that I didn't get to. And then after that, we'll go into what happened after you got out of straight. Okay. Okay. All right. First, let's start. What was the daily routine in straight? Because I don't think people know like what it was like all day long. You know what I mean? Like what was the daily routine like from the beginning of the day all the way to the end? Could you describe the typical day? I can. Okay. So uh, if you were a newcomer and your old comers uh, went to school, you would be dropped off at the building really early in the morning, like six o'clock in the morning, maybe. Uh-huh. Um, and you sat in that intake room and there are little small rooms, maybe eight by eight rooms. Okay. And they would fill up very quickly. Um, and of course you've got all these girls on first phase that get a whopping one or five minute shower, depending on, uh, what their, uh, foster home would allow. And uh-huh. of course, we all stunk to high heaven because you really can't get clean in one or five minutes in a shower and deodorant and shaving and stuff like that was for old comers, not first phasers. Right. So it was, it was pretty rank with B.O. and other vile smells. Um, right. And we sat in these intake rooms and then, and they would fill up, you know, with all these first phasers being dropped off at the building to where you were just like touching the person next to you in these mm-hmm. little rooms. And you sat Indian style until group started at 9 a.m. And then uh-huh. 9 a.m. group started. <clears throat> You know, and you had to flap your arms and bare your soul and cry about how bad you felt about your past and your whatever it is. And and a lot of people were just making crap up just to get along. So they would get people to admit to things that never happened. I mean, just crazy stuff. Did Um, you ever did you ever make up stuff to get through? Well, I was pretty honest about my drug use. And okay. the things that I did, but that didn't seem to be enough. So I made stuff up to you and to make myself cry, you know, to sound more sincere, I would like picture dead puppies and stuff. So I would really get the tears rolling. This is when I was, was being compliant, of course. Right. Um, and so you would just make up stuff that was more and more bizarre, uh-huh. uh, you know, to progress in your program. So you actually had to like, confess to things that never actually happened so that they would think you were being honest you know whatever it took to make them happy right you know you just yeah. you know because you can't keep fighting if you're not allowed to sleep you're not allowed to eat you're being brutalized eventually you break down and you do comply and i did break down and comply um mm-hmm. and so then they would have lunch so Um, there was no like raising your hand saying, I have to go to the bathroom. You had to wait till certain times. So before meals, they would allow you to go to the bathroom. You would eat this God awful shit. I mean, they literally, you you thought you were eating garbage. Like I've been to jail and the food in jail is good compared to what we were fed in straight. And so you would, and if you didn't eat it all, they would make you eat it all. Um, And then other times it was like, okay, lunch is over and you didn't get to eat any of your lunch. It just, you know, was the whim of the child staff member, you know, whatever they wanted. And they would make you sing songs and sometimes they would have what they call a rap session during lunch. Um, And then, you know, then you had your, your rap sessions, uh, girls rap only instead of just the whole group. It was girls only. And what did they talk about in those? The uh, girls uh, rap. Oh, what what little whores we were, and what you know, filthy little sluts we were, and how you know, it was just utter nonsense, really. Uh, did they make you reveal personal details that oh, were? Oh yeah. 
oh yeah you know um yeah so i guess i can't say what went on in the boys rap but after lunch it was girls only and usually they talked about sexual stuff um okay and some of the girls were so young it was ridiculous um where they had no sexual experience so then they would like talk about masturbating or having sex with the animals i mean it was just so bizarre you know the the right i remember yeah you know the stuff that um and then they would have an exercise wrap like you know if we weren't stinky enough when we went in there then you know they would turn off the air conditioning because we were in a warehouse there was no windows or anything like that and then we would have some sort of exercise wrap and then we would go back in the main group and have more rap and talk about more stuff just dumb ridiculous stuff and then there would be dinner and of course you would be uh, taken to the bathroom for dinner and then there would be more wraps and then uh then it was time to go home and they would announce uh like who was going to what foster home so if you were non-compliant they would just bounce you from foster home to foster home um and they would make uh, everybody stand heel to toe silently until the child staff member said, okay, go home. And that would be around nine, 10 o'clock at night. Right. Uh, and then you rode home in the, in the locked car. Like, you know, they had childproof locks on the car so nobody could jump out because kids were jumping out of moving vehicles and right. second story windows to get away from there. One girl even ate Comet. Um And, uh, you know, people were carving into their skins and stuff. Um, And then you would go home to your foster home and get your snack. If you were good, you were allowed to have a snack in your shower and do your moral inventories and go in your little locked room. And then the next day would start pretty much the same as the last day. So you really had no sense of time. You had no sense of what day of the week it was none of that um how much sleep would you say you got that's you know on a good night when you were behaving and nobody was deliberately keeping you up did did you guys get enough sleep never i don't think even even the old comers probably didn't get enough sleep Uh, i think if you got eight hours of sleep that was miraculous um I would say the average foster home, probably the girls maybe got six hours of sleep if they were lucky. Sunday. So everybody was always tired. Right. Sunday. Yes. uh, Everybody was exhausted constantly. Sundays were special because you could, you didn't have to go into the building until 12 or one o'clock in the afternoon. So that Uh was when you got to sleep in. If you had a good foster home. Some foster homes, I was forced to clean toilets with a rag and a bare hand. Um, Your bare hands? Yeah, you know, they give you a sponge and they say clean the toilet. Um, oh, okay. Uh, you know, it just depended on your foster home. If you had a good foster home or a bad foster home, um, right. sometimes they would force the newcomers to do things like clean toilets and stuff like that. Um, Got it. But not not all the foster homes, but some of them. Um, but and then we would go into the building at one o'clock in the afternoon, so you actually got a little bit more sleep on Sunday, right? And you got to eat um, breakfast and lunch in your foster home. So, if you had a good foster home, you got a real breakfast and a real lunch. And if you had a crappy foster home, Sometimes they didn't give you breakfast at all. Or, you know, like when I was on the peanut butter diet thing, you know, I got oh. a peanut butter sandwich. And it, it just depended on whether I was being compliant or not. Right. So I think um, what about- the maximum amount, I think, of sleep I ever got was maybe eight hours. But that was on a Sunday. That was a special day, you know. So that was rare. It was rare. Yes. What were open meeting days like? Uh, they had open meetings where everybody had to be there um, and the parents would come in. 
So you had the girls on one side and the boys on the other. And then their parents, the parents would come in and the parents were on the other side of the room and they would force the newcomer to tell their story. And then they would have like a fifth phaser or a seven stepper tell their story. Um, And then they would announce whether you were allowed to talk to your parents, whether, you know, whether you were going home on second phase or whether you made third phase. And then after the meeting, um, they would pass around the microphone. So the parents of the children that were on first phase that weren't allowed to talk to their parents, their parents would talk to them over a microphone. Now there's like 500 people in this warehouse. Right. You have all of the kids that are in straight, right? All of them, all 200 kids and their parents, both parents, sometimes a sibling. And then you pass around the microphone and, you know, some kids that were on second phase or fifth phase or whatever, their mother and father would say, we love you. We're so proud of you. And then there was the poor kid on stuck on first phase who didn't earn talk or responsibility or you know, they didn't earn the privilege of a supervised conversation with their parents. Those you really had to feel sorry for because, oh, you had to stand up too when your parents were holding the microphone. So everybody had all eyes on you. And your parents would say like, you know, what a piece of crap kid you were and how disappointed they are in you. It's like public humiliation, you know. So, yeah, yeah, so your parents are there standing with a microphone in front of a room of 500 or so people saying how disappointed they are in you and blah, blah, blah. And then all you're allowed to say is love your mom, love your dad. And that was it. So and then they would have a rap session like after the open meetings. And that's when they would really tear into people. Um, Uh and set people back and stuff. So now these kids are thinking I'm going home for the weekend if they were out of town kids and they would be like started over and their parents had no idea what was going on. They'd be sitting in the parking lot waiting for their kid to go home, you know, like being an out of town kid, go home for the weekends. And like, they'd sit there till midnight and some staff member would say, Oh, they've been set back. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and they had a four or five hour drive home and they're sitting in the parking lot till midnight waiting for their kid. So it, it was uh, after open meetings was particularly brutal. Um, and God helped the first phaser that didn't tell their story exactly right or whatever. They would really lay into those kids, too. So uh, open after open meeting was never fun because you 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 could be kept in that building till midnight before you were right. home to your foster home. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you were there at six o'clock in the morning and you were let out at midnight and now you have to do their moral inventory that was required every day and take a shower and possibly get a snack. You're talking about, you don't go to sleep till like two, three o'clock in the morning. And then you have to be at the building at 6 a.m. again. So now you got a whopping three hours of sleep. And that's if you're not, that's if you were compliant and not being kept awake all the time. So every child was deprived of sleep one way, shape, or form, whether they were right. compliant or not. I mean, there was kids yep. that had jobs. There was kids that went to school. And then they got in trouble for not doing well in school. Well, how are they supposed to do well in school if they're not sleeping? Or if they don't have time to do homework. <laughs> right. How are you supposed to keep up with your schoolwork when there's no time to do homework? Exactly. Right. Right. I wasn't in school very long, so I really didn't even think about that part. Right. Right. Um, So open meetings, um, would you say they were the same as the average day in straight or were they different? Like, like, did the parents see what what straight was really like in those open meetings? No, we sang songs and it was it was. yeah, we sang songs for the parents. Um, they just thought it was wonderful. Look at my kid. You know, they're in preppy little clothes and they're singing all these happy songs like You Are My Sunshine. And 
I don't know. I don't know how any parent can think any part of it was normal getting teenage kids to sing nursery rhymes and think it was cute, you know? Right. Well, speaking of open meetings, there was one in particular that was famous while you were there when Nancy Reagan came to visit. Do you remember that? Oh, how can I forget that? Yeah, tell us about that. Okay, so Nancy Reagan came to visit Straight Incorporated, in, I guess, somewhere in 1982. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it was, I believe, after Sarasota was shut down for child abuse. And, of course, I wasn't being compliant. So they had to clean it up a little bit. Um, so they took all the kids that were non-compliant out, and they took them into intake rooms. I was in the timeout room, you know, the big one in St. Pete. Um, so uh -huh. probably Nancy Reagan stood 100 feet away from me, maybe 50 feet away from me. I'm not sure. But I was behind closed doors. And I was being sat on because God forbid, you know, she should know that there was a disgruntled child. So um, now there I am sprawled out on the floor, uh, one girl on each limb and a girl on my chest. Um, you know, they didn't want me making any noise or making a run for it. So I had to be sat on. And when she was brought into that room, um, you could hear like, you know, when she came in, cause they announced it, I could hear what was going on outside that room. Somebody uh -huh. put their hand over my mouth, but they were also covering my nose. Now I, I already couldn't breathe cause I had somebody sitting on my chest also. Mm-hmm. So Nancy Reagan, she saw kids talking about the horrible things they did and crying. She saw parents passing the microphone, some kids being praised, some not, and people getting to go home. But she never saw what was going on behind closed doors. No. How, how many people do you think were being held like you were outside of her? I, outside the open meeting. I don't know because I didn't see into that mm -hmm. room. I was held in the timeout room. I don't know how many kids were pulled out of group and that was done to. I have no idea. All I know is what was done to me. And I learned how to leave my body that day. I wasn't there. When they put, when that girl put her hand over my mouth, she covered my nose too. I couldn't breathe. I, I flew out of my body. I was not there. I could, no longer, I could no longer feel anybody on my arms or legs. I could no longer feel anybody on my chest. I don't know if I was breathing or not. All I know is I had a out-of-body experience or a near-death. It might have been a near-death experience because I already couldn't breathe from having somebody sitting on my chest. And then somebody covered my mouth and nose, too. Maybe it was a hallucination. I flew out of that building and I flew all around in the sky. I was not there. And somehow I was brought back in. You were clearly traumatized. I was not in my body. I, like I said, I, I no longer felt anybody on sitting on me. I don't know if I was breathing or not. I don't know if, if it was a disassociation, if it was a hallucination or I actually... Right. left my body could have been an, a near-death experience because i was already having trouble breathing when my mouth and nose were covered up so nancy reagan is in open meeting hearing all this and talking about how great she thought straight was and how wonderful of a program it was meanwhile children were being abused yeah behind closed yeah. doors in the same yeah. building while she's there yeah and, of course, it goes on every day, and no one bothered to tell Nancy Reagan because she thought it was great. Nancy Reagan's war on drugs was a joke. It wasn't a war on drugs. It was a war on American teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could probably talk all day about Nancy Reagan, but we'll move on. Well, she's worm food now. Yeah. She's no longer with us. So, okay, there's one other thing we didn't cover before we go on to after the rules. There was crazy rules in straight. 
Do you remember any oh, of them? God, there were so many. Are you kidding me? There were so many rules. <laughs> um, you right. had to look at the person talking. You had to sit straight up. That was a rule. You, r- honesty was the first and most important rule. And when honesty didn't work, you had to make stuff up. Um, there was, there were so many rules. I can't even remember them all. Right. I mean, just crazy, right. crazy, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Right. All right. Well, let's go to after straight. So my first question, when you got out of straight, you were there for like two years. Did, was it like culture shock going out into the world again? Did you have any trouble adjusting to the real world? I felt like I had to tell everybody everything because, um, you know, you're so brainwashed into like, admitting every thought and you really believe that they can tell what you're thinking that's what's scary about brainwashing is you think they know what you're thinking and right i was like a neurotic mess when i got out of straight i was just a neurotic right. person telling everybody everything because i was so programmed to confess to every thought in my head that i don't i mean i know that I have friends that knew me before straight and after straight and, and they were horrified by how I, how I was, you know? Uh huh. So you basically were running around sharing your feelings just like you did in straight only it wasn't working out so well in the real world. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like what, what did they do? You know? Yeah. I was like a, a, just a neurotic nervous wreck. I was an, I was a nervous wreck. I I had had got ticks and uh, shakes and and I was an absolute. Now now I also went to NA um, because you know my parents insisted on it, and the people in NA said that I wasn't even a drug addict and I didn't belong there. That's how that went. They're like, and and when they're hearing about straight, they were absolutely horrified. Um, so mm-hmm. finally, somebody's like, look, I don't think you're a drug addict at all. They said, you know, I think you have some issues with your parents. I think you might have some mental health issues, uh, but we don't think you're a drug addict. So, yeah. Right. That must have been a shock to hear yeah, that. People in NA saying you're not a drug addict. Like, I don't think you're a drug addict, you know. It doesn't, you know. Yeah. So... Uh, I was like a neurotic mess for a long time. So you were um, nervous, paranoid, and you had some fears, right? Like you were afraid of certain things happening? I was terrified of being kidnapped, that's for sure. I still am to this day. What 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 did that fear do to you? How did that manifest itself? Uh, well, um, I started collecting weapons of all sorts um and i'm never to this day ever unarmed never um i just i think that you know if somebody grabs me boy they're grabbing the wrong one because i'm already paranoid about it so i always got something i always got mace a knife a taser a a firearm something i would not pop out and grab me Like, as a joke, I wouldn't take it well, and I'd probably hurt somebody. I'm terrified of being grabbed, tied up, and dragged somewhere where I don't want to be. To this day, I'm still afraid of being kidnapped every day. I worry about it. Understandable. Understandable. Uh, What other ways did you avoid being put back in straight because you were that afraid of it? Well, the saddest thing is that I, um, now in straight, they wouldn't take pregnant girls. They couldn't keep pregnant girls. Mm-hmm. They'd have to go to the doctor. They'd have to explain things to doctor. They just couldn't have that. So there was a lot of forced abortions in straight. But I knew that if they knew I was pregnant, they, they wouldn't touch me. They'd have to keep their hands off me. So I proceeded to have three children that I had. Really, I mean, the reason I got pregnant was so that I would not be abducted and taken back there which is not the reason to have children. Right. I love my kids. They're all three wonderful, but um, how I had them and the reason I had them, it's not fair. 
wasn't fair to me because I wasn't mentally prepared for it. And it really wasn't fair to my kids because it subjected them to abuse from my parents, you know. What kind of, what, what did your parents do? Well, like they, um, they would take my children away from me and, um, you know, even the police, like if I call the police and I'm like, I'm the custodial parent, my father would get out there and say, Oh, she's a drug addict. She's so bad. She was in long-term drug rehabilitation. And now these cops think I'm some kind of junkie and they're, they're not saying, Hey, this is her kid. Give her her kid back. Now my parents got away with this shit for years with my kids. My kids went uh-huh. back and forth. So like, you know, being a single mom, because I would just get knocked up pretty, I don't want to say by anybody that sounds really bad, but um, like, instead of helping me with a light bill, okay. My parents would let my electricity and my father was a millionaire. So he would let me, his daughter with his grandchildren have the lights turned off so that I would have to drop my kids off at my parents so that they wouldn't have to live in a house with electricity. And of course my parents abused my kids too. So my kids went back and forth like that for, for years. It wasn't a good way for them to grow up. Or my mother would tell them that your mother doesn't care about you. Your mother doesn't love you. No, their mother didn't want them living without electricity or their mother didn't want them living without food, you know, in the refrigerator. So it was instead of helping me, which they financially could have done no problem. They would just say, well, you know, since you don't have electric, we'll just, we'll just hang on to the children for you. And then I would go to get my kids back and the police would be called and they would tell the cops that I was a dope addict. And then I, I couldn't even keep my lights on that kind of stuff. So it subjected my children to abuse. Right. So what about, um, do you get along or speak to your parents now? um, My father died before they call it waking up. So when I left straight, I put it in a box. I didn't talk about it. Uh, I didn't deal with it. Um, A lot of issues that I've had throughout my life. I didn't even know was because of straight. Um, Mm-hmm. And by the time I woke up to what had happened to me, it wasn't very long ago, maybe six years now, um, my father had already passed away. So I never discussed straight with my father. With my mother, okay. what happened was uh, I started posting things about straight on my own Facebook page. This is my Facebook page. And she got very angry because I embarrassed her. I embarrassed her publicly. No, embarrassed being embarrassed publicly is standing up in a room with a microphone in front of 500 people saying what a disappointment you are when you've got black eyes and fat lips. Yeah, they're disappointed in me. I'm really disappointed. I was really disappointed in my parents. Um, So I don't speak to my mother at all. She cannot accept the fact that straight was a cult. Um, she says if she knew about the abuse, she wouldn't have left me there. And that's a lie. Um, told I told her, her it. it was in every newspaper and on every TV show. So either she didn't care or she's a moron. Pick one. You, you Pick one. Either you're a complete mm-hmm. fool and idiot or you didn't care pick one Mm -hmm. so no I have no relationship with my mother at all what about what happened to your sister would you like to tell us about that okay that's that's a hard one for me so I know I know I was out I was out of straight for a few years just had my second child she was about six months old at the time And I didn't have a phone. I couldn't afford a phone. And I was living in Dunedin and my parents were in Broward County. And um, so I guess the police, I was at a friend's house and the police had come to my house to inform me um, that there was a death in the family and I needed to call home. But um, there, I wasn't home. 
So they spoke to my landlord. The police actually were sent to inform me about my sister's death. And they spoke to my landlord and my landlord called my daughter's father, my daughter's father's mother and told her. So when we got home, my, the guy that I was with, his mother was waiting for us and she didn't even have the heart to tell me. She told him. And so here's my daughter's father going, don't freak out. Don't freak out. And, um, I'm like, what, you know, what is it? Like, what, what, what's going on? I, I had no idea. So he's like, um, your sister committed suicide. And I'm like, what? No way. You know, she was really smart. She was always, she was the good one. So, um, I went down to the payphone and I called home and my father's like, your sister committed suicide. And it didn't hit me. And I was like, well, is she okay? Like, I'm thinking she attempted suicide. Is she, he's like, no, right. she's dead. What do you mean she's dead? I, I thought it was a trick. I thought it was a trick on my parents' end. Um, uh-huh. So I fly, I fly out of Tampa to Fort Lauderdale. And I've got, no, my daughter is an infant. And my parents have, they don't have legal custody of my son, but they had my son at that time. And um, I walk in the door with my baby on my hip and my mother's best friend, who I called her my aunt, but she wasn't really my aunt. She was just my mom's best, starts screaming at me like it's my fault. And um, yeah. (laughs) I hate talking about a kick in the teeth. And now my sister is truly deceased. And I, 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 she was in the water for a few days before she was found. So um, it was a closed oh casket, God. but my mother wanted to view the body. And I, I wanted to see, cause I really didn't believe anything was going on. And um, so it was just me and my mother that got to see my sister laying in the casket. And, um, it was a a really horrible funeral, you know, um, she was a popular girl. The whole high school was there. Um, it come, we come to find out that she wasn't going to graduate high school because she had been skipping school and she had also, I hate saying anything about the dead, but this is what, and then I found out years later and she had also stolen her friend's father's credit card and was about to be arrested. And okay. now I didn't find this out until 30 plus years later. The night of her suicide, she actually attended a party where she told everybody that she was going to kill herself. They didn't believe it. And they said, yeah, she, she's oh, like, no. yeah, I'm, I'm about I'm fixing to go to jail. And um. My parents are going to stick me in that place and I'd rather be dead than have what happened to my sister done to me. Well, she meant straight, but I, I didn't find this out until maybe five or six years ago. Um, so she actually was so afraid because she wasn't 18 yet that she would be taken to straight. And so rather than whatever, whatever, whatever it was, she saw a drastic change in me enough that she uh, would rather be dead than go through straight. Now, she was involved in the sibling program, and I don't know what they did to the little kids that went there for the sibling program. They had their own little raps and stuff. Apparently, it scared her enough and seeing what I had become scared her enough that she would have rather died than to go there. So um, she actually killed herself because she thought my parents were going to put her in straight and she'd rather be dead. So so my children oh my grew up with no aunts. I will never be an aunt. Um, I miss her. Think about her. And you lost every your sister. Day. You lost your sister yeah, because of straight. She was so afraid of them that she would rather die. I don't even know what to say. There, it, it doesn't even get worse than that. 
she didn't she thank you i mean you know i think about her every day and i don't understand she didn't know that i would have gone there and got her i had guns i would have gone in there and got her they weren't going to keep her i would have never let them keep her i would have never let i would have gone there and gotten her out by force i would have never let them keep her so she didn't have to die But she was, she didn't know. Oh, God. Are you ready to talk about something different? Yeah, I know this is hard. I'm so sorry. Um, PTSD. You found out you had PTSD. How did you find out? I don't just have PTSD. I have complex PTSD. PTSD is caused by one traumatic incident. When you have several. Right traumatic incidents it's complex ptsd that's a fun one to deal with and it's gotten me into a lot of trouble before i was diagnosed with it and even after i was diagnosed with it i've had some issues Uh so i have a fear of being kidnapped or held against my will um and i've gotten in some fights and um the threat if I feel threatened, I will lash out. Um, and I've gotten in some trouble. I mean, I've, I've been arrested for battery. I don't know how many times I, I don't know how I'm not a felon. Um, but I mean, I have really hurt some people. Um, and I've had grown ass men scared to death of me. Don't corner me. So, uh, one time, uh, now this, I guess PTSD, uh, played into it. I was dealing, I have one of my children is a really bad drug addict. I don't want to say which one, but I was driven over the edge and, um, I just had a complete meltdown. I cut off all my hair and I ripped off all my clothes and I went down the street like that and somebody called the cops I know this sounds funny and I'm just picturing it. And so now I've chopped off all my hair and I'm running around naked and the police come and they throw me in the cop car and I kicked the windows out of the cop car. I kicked the crap out of the cop. How I didn't catch a charge. I don't know. I guess they figured, look, this lady's obviously nuts. And I was taken to a nut ward where, they came at me with a needle and the guy that stabbed me with that needle, I punched him in the nose, big black guy broke his nose. And the last thing I saw was this poor man with a bloody nose. And I woke up, I think two or two or three oh. days later. And then, you know, they started talking and I wanted out of this nut ward bad. And it was in Pinellas County and I forget what it was called, but um, it's like, you know, the where they take you to the loony bin. This wasn't a private loony bin. This was like their county mental facility, which is pretty much like jail. Um, and so I'm like talking to the doctors or the nurses or whatever. And they're like, and it still wasn't awake to what happened to me in straight. But they diagnosed me with PTSD. Right. Um and they recommended medication and they let me go after a few days. So, um, I didn't take the medication and I did try medication and it really didn't help. So I just, I don't take it. And, um, so, but yes, I have a diagnosis of PTSD and then I've talked to other therapists and they're like, no, you don't have PTSD. You have complex PTSD. So it was from several events and so now that I know I have it, I, I try to deal with it, but you know, it is what it is. So, so if I, if I heard you right, straight taught you violence because when you are, when you feel threatened, that's when you mm-hmm. get violent. No, like I was the kind of kid straight? that if I saw a fight, I would go the other way. I didn't want to even see. I didn't want, you know how kids will gather around and yeah, yeah, fight a fight. I wasn't, I wasn't one of those kids. I was like, oh, I don't want to even see this. So I wasn't one of those kids. I was like more like a flower child type, (laughs) you know, I didn't, 
was peace, love, right. and happiness. We should all get along. And I was subject to so much violence in there that I've become a very, I can become a very violent person. When, when you I mean, feel threatened, not for any reason, but right. it's because or you feel God threatened. forbid somebody should put their hands on me. That was another time I got arrested and got on probation. Somebody put their damn hands on me and I kicked their ass and they should have gone to jail, but I ended up on probation. Because it was overkill, you know, I just freaked out, you right. know, and that's how it is. So it's a lovely thing to deal with PTSD or complex PTSD. Right. Well, you mentioned a few times waking up. Can you tell me about how, what brought about that and what that was like when you started sure. thinking about so, straight again? Um, here I am, and thank God I was in North Carolina and not Pinellas County when it happened. I like documentaries, right? So I was living out in North Carolina. I was kind of living in the woods um, all by myself, uh -huh. and I was enjoying li living in the woods. And um, I would I, I don't really like TV because I just think there's too much crap on TV. So I like documentaries, and I like to watch YouTube documentaries. And I'm watching this documentary about kids in prison, like kids that did something really bad, like carjacking or a murder. And they're, they're crying about how uh -huh. awful prison is, right? And I'm thinking these kids right. have complete freedom compared to me, like what I went through. And I, I didn't break any laws. I didn't hurt anybody. <laughs> um, and, and I was like, whatever happened in that place called straight? So I started Googling it and I saw some of the websites and stuff and it all hit me really, really hard, really hard. And, um, I just like had a meltdown and, um, of course I joined the survivor groups. Now, um, you have to be vetted in and sometimes it takes a little bit to get in. And apparently I was like in the survivor groups, like as soon as I asked to join, I was in because so many people remembered me. Uh -huh. um, and then right. there was another website where somebody had stories. It wasn't yours. And he, I, uh -huh. so now I'm now waking up to what happened to me in straight and realizing uh, a lot of the things and a lot of the problems that I've had are because of way back when and I'm alone uh -huh. in the woods I have no support like I had to figure this all out all oh on my own I almost blew my brains out too and so somebody oh wanted no. my stories because I had run away from there so I the yeah, cop out yeah. stories so I wrote yeah I wrote my my yep. three cop out stories and he thought it was great and blah 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 and I said, well, I want to write about some of my experiences. And he's, I wrote, you know, a couple of chapters and he was all gung-ho. Uh, and he was going to be my editor and we were going to publish this book. And then I wrote about the enema therapy. And oh my he God. never spoke to me again. Wouldn't give me an answer, nothing. And that was actually very devastating. But by then, I was getting phone calls from survivors that remembered me. And um, one girl called me crying. She thought for sure I was dead because <laughs> she thought they beat, they beat me to death uh -huh. somewhere along the lines. And um, she was actually a foster child in one of the homes. And I'm still really tight with her today. Um, <clears throat> so right. a lot of people were reaching out to me. And I, if, if I hadn't had that support from other survivors, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'd be here today. That was so important to talk to other people that I wasn't crazy that this really did happen. It was really horrible. And mm -hmm. how can we fix it and how can we heal from it and what can we do about it? And so that's what, that's what saved me was having the support group exactly Survivor. yeah wow how 
since finding it, you said it's been about yeah. what six years ago. So it would have been around 2014 ish. Yeah. Has it helped you? I mean, you said it it helped you get through when you first found it, but has it helped you over the past six years? Do you feel I like you're because healing I'm able at all, to talk or? about what happened? Um, I'm not the one to be ashamed, right? Um, especially right. the there the special therapy I got from Miller Newton. Um, I know that other it, it was done to other people, and uh, the one survivor I talked to, she has never even told her husband about it. Um, it's not our shame; right. it's their shame. And I want to tell the world what kind of animals and what kind of demons that they are. Um, so I know other survivors got the same treatment as me, some even worse. Some people were held there a lot longer than I was. And and to talk about right. what happened with other survivors is very therapeutic. Um, I don't trust psychiatrists and mm -hmm. psychologists. I just, I don't. Um I feel like I've had enough right. therapy, but there are other survivors. I was about to ask, yeah, if, pretty is much. that because plus, straight, that right. you're afraid plus, of therapy? I didn't feel like if I told the therapist what really happened, I didn't think that I would be believed either. So I'm able to talk to people right. that were there that know it happened and it's easier to work through. So, I mean, I know, I know other survivors are on medication I know other survivors, some have done mm -hmm. better than others. Some are really not well. Um, and so I feel very fortunate right. that I've been able to work through this without therapy or medication. And I only surround myself with people that I feel safe with. Understandable, given what you were put through. So I mean... Is there, so you're, you've, do you, I'm hearing that you feel like you're doing better because of finding other yes. survivors. Good. I, I'm really glad to hear that because, you know, that's one of the reasons why I have my website is to obviously help connect people. But um, we've talked about a lot of things. Is there anything else that you want to say? Doesn't matter. You know, I may have missed a lot of things because so, uh -huh. there's so much. Anything else you um, want to tell people about? No, the um, the PTSD thing I have to deal with every day. Um, you have to work yeah. at it. Um, the more the more I talk about it, yep. the more I heal. Um, and it's just a, a something you got to work on every single day. But having other people that were there that know it happened, that know it's true that don't disbelieve me, um, that, mm -hmm. that is very powerful that, that other survivors are with each other. There's different, um, projects that I've worked on, um, help somebody with their book. I've read other survivors books. I don't know if I should mention the books or not, <laughs> but, um, you know, <laughs> The thing is, and not all survivors get along. Some of them still act like, you know, that we're there and, right. and they'll go at each other's throats. Um, and so, you know what? I don't associate with anybody that is unhealthy for me. So. Good idea. I only associate with people that I feel safe and comfortable with and I feel understood by. Um, and that includes my own family. I've cut most of my own family off. I just saw my cousin today. I haven't seen him in about seven years. I only speak to two relatives of mine, two cousins. Got to see one today. Haven't seen him in seven years. Um, but anybody that's not supportive of me and it doesn't make me feel safe and secure, I don't need them in my life. And that's just, that's how it goes. So. And straight had a lot to it do did. with that. Um, it definitely did. It definitely caused major trust issues, anxiety issues. Sometimes I can go somewhere and be okay. Other times I get such anxiety that I can't stay there. Um, stores. I don't know what mm -hmm. kind of childhood trauma I have from stores. Sometimes I can go in a store and shop and other times I, I got to get out of there. 
it, you just never know what triggers it. I don't know if it's something I see, something I smell, something I hear, the way the store is laid out. Stores freak me out. <laughs> I got to tell you, of all of the phobias, stores, I have a they phobia of stores. Complex post-traumatic stress disorder is called complex The thing about stores blows my mind. <laughs> Not always. Sometimes right. I can go in there and shop and sometimes I can't breathe and I got to leave. I don't, I don't know why with stores. I don't know if it's crowds, mm -hmm. the way the stores laid out. I don't know. I don't know. But it's every day is a new challenge. Oh. And sometimes you get over right. things and you're pretty good with that you know mm -hmm. well it sounds like you're on the road healing is a process it'll take time but i'm glad you're on the road with me us me too thank you well i i unless you have anything else yeah well i guess we want just other survivors to know especially if they're not in our support groups and stuff like that like just somebody coming across this and they were there um there is a support group for you we know what happened there we will believe you and talking with other survivors is way better than drugs or therapy or having to explain to a therapist the insanity because just explaining the insanity could take a year you know but it, anybody anybody yeah. that was in straight or straight like program, like the seed, or um, what did what come after straight kids helping kids or something like that. Anybody that was in any of these programs should reach out to the support groups because nobody's not a therapist is going to understand what you went through, and drugs aren't going to take away what happened to you. Only being around people that were there that went through it are going to believe and understand you. Um, so with all the thousands of survivors out there, there's going to be some of them that you can actually get along with. Cause we don't exactly get along with everybody. You know? Right. So we kind of need each other. Yeah. They've helped me a lot too. So I, I totally understand what you mean. Well, Merry Christmas. All right. Same to you, and thank you so Thanks much for, for sharing me, your story you know? with us. Every time I tell my story or Sorry. part of my story or even an incident, that helps me. That empowers me because I am not the one to be ashamed. And a lot of survivors carry a lot of shame, and they're not the ones that should be ashamed at all. And that's what the podcast is to help, to help give them the voice to speak out and do what they need. Well, like you just you did. for the opportunity. No problem. All right. Thank you. All righty. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Have a good night.